0: So we've been teaching through our six practices and um, uh, I hope that as we've been teaching them about how we are going to develop and grow as a community by practicing these things, that it has been an inspiration for you individually. So for example as we've taught through prioritizing presence as a community, I hope the implication is that as individuals that we prioritize the presence of God that we learn how to develop a familiar friendship with Jesus uh, in our everyday lives, that we learn how to abide in the vine and carry his presence wherever we go and as we've taught on mobilizing mission as a church and as we see ourselves push into some stuff as a community together, Friday mornings, Friday nights, other things that are plan. We hope that it's also been an inspiration to you individually, that every one of us, every day, everywhere, can represent Jesus. And so I hope that it's been helpful for you wherever you find yourself every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. But in saying that, I do like the way we're teaching these in, in the context of community, in the context of church, in the context of how we do this as a people, as a body. Let me try and explain what I mean. I am learning the older I get, that the nitty-gritty of transformation happens in the church, in a family. Uh, the worst of me <laughs> comes out in my own family, in my own relationships, in those close to me, hopefully the best as well, but often the worst. It's often where I see the stuff that I have to change. Because even in our own little families, if you want to put it like that, we're different. We have different Um, personalities, different hopes and different dreams, different likes, different dislikes, all of that kind of stuff and so it's all well and good saying we're going to sit in our house and have a quiet time with Jesus and read books all day which would be wonderful but there's not really that much of course the Holy Spirit can show us stuff but there's nothing like where the rubber hits the road that really shows us where we need to change and be transformed and I'm realizing as I get older the gift that the body of Christ is to me the gift that the church is to me in terms of my need for transformation our individual time with Jesus is of course our bread and butter that's what he loves longs for. He wants us to be with him and develop personal friendship with him. But sometimes I think that we have so uh, taught on in western kind of evangelicalism, which is a very individualized culture, sometimes I think that has creeped into the church and we've so focused so much on how individual transformation happens, which is really, really important, that we haven't talked about how important the church is and how important the gift of one another is to Ourselves for transformation, and suppose what I think the Bible teaches is that we are loved by a father, but we are formed in a family. The formation that needs to happen to our souls gets formed because you're kind of gently forced to change, <laughs> to um, to not always want things your way, to realise that there's people that come from different social classes, maybe even different countries, different backgrounds, that. Are your brothers and sisters in Christ, and at the table of Jesus, where we remember the bread and the and, and the bread and the cup particularly, we remember that that's a leveler that before God we all are indebted to his grace and so as we talk about our third practice this morning growing as a family, I want to talk a little bit to you today about what it means to be a member, if we can use that phrase of the local church now I'm nervous. I must say I'm nervous as I start to talk about membership because we've all different and the church throughout church history has all different understandings of membership. Some of us have never been a member of a local church because we have never really, even though you have been, we've never, it's never really been talked about. <clears throat> Some of us have been hurt because of membership in other churches. And then the whole word membership is just used in a wholly different way in the culture that we live today. You know, you're a member of the golf club or you're a member of a certain society. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it it means something different to what it means when we talk about membership in the church. And so membership has always often been misunderstood misapplied or not applied at all. And so I don't uh, claim to be any kind of expert in this, but I'm going to do my best and you can tell me how you get on um, afterwards. I'm going to do my best to try and to try and help you understand what I think it looks like in the body of Christ in a local setting, which I think is crucial. And, uh, and then I'm going to give us an opportunity uh, all together to respond because misuse of something, and this misuse of something doesn't mean No use. But that's what the devil wants. Yeah? Loads of different things when it comes to theology in the church. We've got hurt, it's been misused, gifts have been misused, and so we don't use them anymore. And it's the classic throw the baby out with the bathwater, and then we lose something of what Jesus really wants to say to us. Right? And so misuse does not mean no use, it just means we need to find correct use. And that's what we want to try and do this morning. Is that all right? You with me? (laughs) Promise. Our theology of, of the family, uh, I suppose Debbie and Stephen kicked us off brilliantly a couple of weeks ago, and Phil built on this last week, and I just want to add a few other thoughts. But the foundations have been laid as we think about God as family and the church as family, because God in himself is family, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. They are a community of beings. A, a Trinitarian belief is ours in the God who is three in one. And that expresses itself through the Bible because it looks like God has always been looking for a family he didn 't leave Adam alone, sure he didn 't He brought him a helper, yeah, he brought one who would stand beside him, be a companion, a soulmate, an equal um, he brought um, He spoke to Abraham and his descendants and his family, so that his family would be blessed, and the families of the nations would be blessed. He, he spoke to the children of Israel, a community. He spoke to the church in the New Testament of Jesus Christ. It seems that God has always been looking for a family where who he is as community would in himself would be expressed in those made in his image. And so God has come to us, and I think this is a really quite profound thing actually for us to understand. God has come to us not just as our personal savior, he has if we're in Christ, but he has set the family of who he is in our hearts. Look at, look at this verse to help explain what I'm trying to say. Jesus said this in John 14. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we, we, that's Father and Son, will come to them and make our home with them. Now when you think about how intimate Jesus and the Father are, how their loving relationship is so deep and so intimate. It's mysterious. It's beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. And Jesus says, that love that we share, we're coming to make that our home. We, we are coming through the Spirit to see that depth of family love in our heart. That's why we're so wired for family. And that's why loneliness is such a brutal thing. We're not created for loneliness. And that's why in Psalms it tells us God sets the lonely in families, right? Look at this one just to emphasize a few chapters later, verse 17, Jesus says, sorry, chapter 17, Jesus is praying to the Father here before he goes to the cross. So Jesus is crying out to his Father. He says, I pray for those who will believe in me through their, that was the disciples, through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you're in me and I'm in you. Look, may they also be in us. Us, right? May there be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you give me, that they may be one as we are one. So the same oneness as the Father and the Son have, Jesus is putting in us so that we would be one. It's it's incredibly deep, isn't it? It's it's beautiful, intimate language of family. I and them You and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Beautiful words about how the Father and Son come and live in our hearts through the Spirit. This is what we've got caught up in. And so when I read my Bible or spend some time with Jesus in the mornings and sit back in my chair, I think about myself being caught up in the love of the Trinity through Jesus. I, Paul would say, my life has been hidden with Christ in God. Think about that. Think about that. Like, that's the kind of stuff, when other stuff's trying to fill your head, you can lie back in your bed at night with your head in your pillow and go, do you know what? I am caught up in the mystery of the love of the oneness of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is mine in Christ. And I can rest in that love. That I've been included included, drawn into that level of mystery, of love. It's, it's the most beautiful thought. You, you, can, you can do that. You can know that. That's yours in Christ. And God, the love of Father and Son has been placed into my heart, seeded into my life through Jesus. And that's what happens when we're born again. But it's an overflowing love. It, it spills over. And so there's a sense that when we are in Christ and he is in us, the nature of that love that I've just been describing subsequently means that it overflows into one another. So if we are in Christ and if Christ is in us, then we are in each other, in Christ. Now this is this is kind of deep stuff. This is beyond just joining the club or signing up your membership and paying your dues. Right? This is way, way, way deeper than this. If Christ is in us and his love is in us, and if Christ is in you and his love is in you, like whether you like it or not, <laughs> or whether you like me or not, <laughs> we are in Christ together. We are one. It's a beautiful thing. This is the genius of God. This is what God had always intended. This is Christ's centerpiece plan for humanity, and we're going to get into that a bit more in a moment or two. When we love one another, When we love one another as the people of God, we are expressing who God is. Remember how God works. How does God's love work? God's love is not the way we necessarily love today, which is possessive and uh, self-promoting. God's love is the opposite. The way Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together, it's mutual love. It's mutual submission. It's preferring one another. It's standing back and letting the other one be exalted. It's all, Jesus is always talking about doing what the Father's doing. The Father is exalting Jesus and giving him the highest place. They're letting the Holy Spirit come and do what the Holy Spirit has to do. It's this beautiful teamwork, it's this beautiful mutual submission. And so, if that's the love, that won our hearts, and if that's the love that's inside us, this family love, if you could call it, the father-son love for one another, if that's in our hearts, then if that expresses itself through our lives, guess what? It looks like who God is. (laughs) It will look like who God is when we allow that love to flow in our hearts and to overflow to one another and to the world. And so with all of that, it makes sense that Jesus would say this, wasn't it? By this will everyone know that you're my disciples if you, if you love. The world will know that we belong to Jesus if we love one another. That's our number one witness to the world. And so when it comes to what does a great church look like, a great church looks like a loving church. If it's not that, it's not a great church in kingdom minds. It can have the best worship. It could have even the best Bible teachers. It could have the nicest coffee. It could have the best lights. It could have the best kids' program. But if it doesn't love, it's not a great church. In fact, I don't even know if it is a church. Because by this will all men know that you're my disciples. And so when James and John come along and they want greatness to be, greatness must be living. Uh, and being up beside Jesus in his throne. So Jesus, how can we be great in the kingdom? Can we sit up beside you when you get up to heaven? Jesus like, you need to become like little children. You, you, you know, you need, you need to like be prepared to sacrifice. You need to be prepared to love. He showed us what that love was all about. And so when Jesus was here, his primary message was, the kingdom of God is near. But his method was always family. He would only do what the father was doing. And he would only outwork it, usually, amongst 12 people, his friends. And even when he was out for his tea one night and his actual family, his brothers and sisters, came to him and said, Jesus, your mom says your dinner's ready, get home. Jesus said, "Hold on wee second. These are my brothers and sisters. This, this is my family. Jesus was showing us that the kind of bloodlines in the kingdom get a little bit blurred. Like our natural bloodlines. Because... We've become part of the family of God. Francis Chaffer said this, Christian community is a final apologetic. I love that. Apologetics is a study in theology where pretty much Christians argue, theologians argue for a rational understanding of why people should believe in God. Francis said it turns it on its head and said, the final apologetic, the biggest argument for why the church should exist is Christian community, true, loving fellowship. And so when we get to the New Testament church, we start to see that Paul, as these churches start to get formed, Paul starts to encourage the churches in this way. All right? You still with me so far, yeah? So Christian community that starts getting expressed when Jesus goes back to heaven, Paul is stressing, listen, you have to love one another. And so he's a pains for them to really get this. And so he says things to them like this. Some things that we glaze over and think, that's just being nice. No, no, no. This is the very heartbeat of the church. And so he says things like, love one another. He says, pursue the bond of peace. He says, do whatever you can to pursue the bond of peace. What does that mean? That means even when you feel hurt that somebody has done something to you and you feel like leaving, you will do what you have to do to make it work. Now, I know sometimes that's not always possible, right? And there's reasons why people leave churches that aren't necessarily all bad, and I totally get that. And we're here to walk with you and help you understand that and, 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 and transition in the right way where it needed to be. But for the general kind of principle, the rule is, Paul saying, pursue the bond of peace. Maintain the unity of the church. Outdo one another, he says, in showing honor. <laughs> in other words... If you want to be competitive, channel your competition in order to see who can be the best at preferring the other. <laughs> who's, the, who's the one that is going to prefer the other the most? And so the New Testament church, Paul was encouraging them to do that. And he would actually say, listen, because if you don't love one another, you don't have anything. <laughs> you have nothing. You're just a sounding gong. You're just a big clanging cymbal. If you don't have love. I love what he says to the church in Thessalonia, And I think he would say it to us today. He says, now about your love for one another. We don't need to write to you. Because they're doing pretty well. And he says, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. Isn't that amusing? They've been taught by God himself. So Paul had to leave them, but it worked out that this is only going to work if we love one another. And then he says, and in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Isn't that really cool? It's like what you tell your, your child. It's like, you know, you're doing really well. You're loving your sisters and brothers really well. Just do it more and more. Because we know that that's the... That's, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's the core of what it is. Just do it more and more. And so, you know, if, it's, if I think what I would say to us today, and I think if more importantly, if the Apostle Paul or if Jesus was here today, this is what he'd say to us. He said, you know what? God looks like he's taught you how to love one another. That's amazing. Well done. Just do it more and more. Do it more and more and more and more. Just outdo one another. And showing love. Because when you do this, you look like me. And the Apostle John would back this up. They reckon Apostle John was the oldest living Apostle. I don't know what age he was, but he was probably octogenarian at the very least, I'd say. When they wheeled him out, he got to Ephesus and they used to bring him out. This old, you can imagine, frail man. They had to carry him out. And they thought, here's the last living Apostle. One of the ones that actually seen and touched Jesus. All the rest have been martyred. John's still alive. And they wheel him out, and they're thinking they're going to get a great big sermon out of John. The Apostle John, the one that lay on Jesus' breast. And they used to wheel him out, and they say, come on, speak to us. And he would say this, little children. Love one another. And that was pretty much it. And they were probably all, have you not got anything more? (laughs) Have you not got a three-point sermon? He's like, love one another, because if you do this, this is enough. Yeah? And so... The primary way of revealing Christ is to love one another, even though you're all different. We're not talking about conformity here. We're talking about unity in diversity. One faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God in all and through all. This is what the apostles are trying to say to these early churches. Because they say, if we don't do this, we don't look like Jesus. And therefore, we're not really his body. And so we have to love one another. And so Paul uses all of these metaphors that are deep and intimate and organic and natural. Things that we can really, really think about. Like a body. The church is like a body. The church is like a bride. The church is like a building where God makes his home. The church is a a family. And all of those metaphors are pointing to this, which I want to describe before I say a few practical things. They're, they're pointing towards what I would call and what the Bible, I think, calls or refers to as a as a covenantal community. Now, what does that mean? Well, the church is formed through what we call covenantal love. What's covenantal love? Well, you can't really read the Bible without understanding or getting the grips with the word covenant. You can't, sorry, understand the Bible properly unless you get the grips with a wee bit of the idea of covenant because the Bible split into two covenants even as we read it, the Old Covenant or Testament and the New Covenant covenant or testament and it speaks of God's covenant love which God has always been at pains to uh, show us and to us. God calls us into covenant with himself which is basically a relationship of such depth that it's based on sacrificial love. All that I have is yours and all that you have is mine and further to that I will lay down my life. I will not Take what I want in order for you to fulfill your destiny that 's what covenantal love is. I suppose marriage is a window into what covenant love looks like i suppose it 's the it 's not the only it 's not the only form of human covenant can be made you know sometimes as friends we can make covenantal relationships together, but I suppose marry and as family, but i suppose um you know, marriage shows us when an obvious one, when two people stand at the front of the aisle, they're, they're saying a vow that's not a contract. You're not putting an end date on it. Yeah? Uh, I remember years ago when, um, this is this is me trying to keep up to date with, like, the kind of gossip columns, but uh, when, was it Michael Douglas married Catherine Zeta-Jones? Is that right? Years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody wants to admit that they read that again. Well, apparently, they had like all their divorce stuff sorted out before they got married. Who will get what before they say their vows? And you're just going, that's not covenant. That's a contract. But God didn't call us in the contract. He called us in the covenant. That whatever it takes, <laughs> whatever it takes, I'm, I'm, I will do for you and me to be one. And so in, in Christ Christ, covenantal love has won our hearts. If you have been born again, God is in covenant to you. He is so committed to you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so if that covenantal love is in you and that covenantal love is in me, that's the glue that binds us together in the covenant community of being one in Christ. It's like if this is a body, which it is, all of you, all of us, which are different members of the body, the blood the ve- that runs through the veins of this is covenantal love blood, <laughs> right? It's a deep, deep thing, and this this is why the church can break our hearts. Because when it works, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. It's the family that we were born to know, and it goes wrong, and churches split, and all of that, and it happens because we're humans. But it's devastating. It's, it's it takes a while to get over, because and it's because it it grieves us. It grieves the heart of God, because what we're not talking about here is an event or a gig or who's got the best worship. It's, it's not even close to anything to do with any of that. It's it's family and it's love. And so Paul would say it like this in First Corinthians: for by one Spirit we are. Baptized into this is baptism at salvation as opposed to water baptism, right? For by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, all have been made to drink into one spirit. (laughs) We've been baptized into one body. And so, when he goes on to use the word member, think about the word member in the medical understanding of the term member, as in part of your body and not as in the way we use the term around the clubs or societies that we join. Think about the word member in the way doctors or nurses would talk about the members of your body and how tightly entwined they were to one another. And then it helps us understand why Paul wants every joint and sinew and part and member to get like intimately entwined and to grow in love up into Christ who is the head of that body. The 120, this is a key point, the 120 people that were in the upper room, right, before the Holy Spirit was poured out of Pentecost, they went into that room as 120 individuals, right? They left as one body. Right? They left as one body. They went in as 120 individuals, and they went out as one body. Baptized into one body by the Spirit of God. They belong to Jesus, and because they belong to Jesus, they belong to one another as members of the body of Christ. And Paul is looking at this happening. Now, can you imagine, right, the Roman Empire, all the might and power of the day, all the superpowers, all the stories of the gladiators, all the coliseums, all the might that you could imagine, like they conquered half the world. And Paul then, though, is looking subversively at these little communities, that's little families that are being made. And he's saying, this is the genius of God. This is going to transform the world. It's almost ludicrous, isn't it? In, in, in spite of all the powers to be that are around, but he's okay, like the church. These little families; these are the ones that are going to change the world. And he says, his intent. This is, this is my favorite verse. His intent was that now Paul saying through the church. God's intent was through the church. The manifold wisdom of God, the manifold, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's saying that the multi layered, the beauty and the wisdom of unfathomable depths of who God is, that wisdom is going to be displayed through families, families centered around the lordship of Jesus. He wasn't saying the manifold wisdom of God is going to be centered around really cool Christian conferences and really bright. Christian bands and big churches and the guy at the front that's a big, big, like loud Bible teacher and he's really charismatic. That that was not what he meant when he said it's through them the manifold wisdom of God. What he meant was a fellowship. Jews, Greeks, male, female, servants, masters, Protestants, Catholics, black, white, one in Christ. It's through that, it's through these little families that the manifold wisdom, the character of who God is, is going to be displayed to the world. And the principalities and all the powers to be might think they're just a little bunch of fuddy-duddy-holy-there-now people in a corner, but it's through them that they're going to change the world through their love for one another, they tell us that in those early churches there would probably have been a craftsman, a master, somebody with a trade who might have ran the house. Then there would have been some of his slaves. Then there would have been his dependent relatives, maybe an older mother or grandmother living with him. Then there would have probably been a few homeless people. Then there might have been a few migrant workers. Then there would have been a few slaves from other houses that hadn't been freed. And they're all together in a house, one as a church you know, the female slave, she was owned by her master for whatever her master wanted her to do for him. And so when somebody stayed at his house and paid him money to stay, she was his to do whatever that person wanted to, that paid the money to stay in his house. That's the way it worked. But here's the thing, in the kingdom of God, Paul's looking at these families and she is in the church. And she is breaking bread with the one who's wealthy and rich and previously owned her. She's in the church. and Is it any wonder that Paul is looking at these families and going, it's through these families. It's through these families centered on the lordship of Jesus that the manifold wisdom of God is going to be shown to the world because in Christ he was making one new humanity. He himself is our peace. He has brought the two groups, one and has destroyed, he has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier and the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its command and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. One new, one new humanity that no longer would be divided by anything if we're in Christ. We're one, baptized into his one body and that's what we are we're a a fellowship of difference fellowship of difference you don't need to well if you want to remind yourself you can look to the person beside you and uh, you can think that not only do they look different they have all sorts of other difference and yet in Jesus we become one so love one another more and more (laughs) love one another more and more I love this quote from J.B. Phillips. The Christian faith took root and flourished In an atmosphere almost entirely pagan, where cruelty and sexual immorality were taken for granted, where slavery and inferiority of women were almost universal, while superstition and rival religions with all kinds of bogus claims existed in every hand. Within this pagan chaos, the early Christians, by the power of God within them, lived lives as sons of God, demonstrating purity and honesty, patience and genuine love. They were the pioneers of the new humanity. And that, oh, come on. They were the pioneers of the new humanity. Wouldn't it be great to be known as the church that got in Portadown? Wouldn't it be great to be pioneers of the life that Jesus has for every single person created in his image? And it would be great to express that not just as individuals, but actually through a body, working together, loving one another in all its fullness. And so I say all that because that's the backdrop for the last 10 or 15 minutes here, I want to say. Thank you for sticking with me here this morning. Uh, I want to say all that to lay the foundation for when it comes to what God's doing in Portadown. we feel that one new humanity is being formed. right? Uh, little, little Finn here was born two weeks before this church started. right? So uh, it's kind of a nice metaphor for me to pray for our church and think about and meditate on our church because he is a person. He is a person. He is a real life little being, we are a person. We're the person of Jesus, the body of Jesus on the head. That's why we worship every week, because we want to be connected to this head, the source of that body, so that we can function properly as the body of Christ. And it's been wonderful, truly wonderful, to watch what the Lord is doing amongst us. His grace has kept us safe this far. And we're doing all right, aren't we? Aren't we? We're doing okay, I think, yeah. God is good. And this morning, I suppose I want to give you, and, and me, the opportunity to respond to what God is putting in our hearts, what God is putting in your heart for this fellowship, this body that God is creating together. I know that some of us have journeyed pretty much from this was just a seed idea, which is wonderful and uh, there's others that just over the last number of weeks, maybe you've been journeying with us, and we just uh, you know felt that it would be good rather than us to assume that this is the place where you'd like to find a spiritual home. We'd like to give you an opportunity this morning to say- y- yes to that now you don't need to feel any pressure but that, but we we would love you to think about that because love looks like something you know we we you know marriage or family has taught us that, isn't it <laughs> you know. I, I love you, well, does that mean you're going to change? <laughs> or I, I love you can sometimes be the thing that we say that often can sound, unfortunately, a little bit shallow eventually, can't it? If there's no commitment or transformation or challenge, that backs that all up. Love, is, uh, love is, is a commitment to something. Love is because is it's more, marriage teaches us, is it's more than the, 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 the frills and the brilliance of the wedding day. It's marriage is all the hard works of tomorrow. Yeah? The hard work of all the tomorrows ever after that. It's it's not the it's not the honeymoon period, as amazing as it is. It's the deep commitment. But something in us all kinda longs that maybe someday we could be that, you know, eighty five year old couple skipping along the beach, still holding hands, don't we? And uh we're 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 <laughs> we're <laughs> you're doing well, Liz, you're doing well. Yeah. Yeah we all we all uh, we're we're Rachel and i were eight years married a couple of weeks ago and you know eight years isn't that long but it's been amazing you know but every year you know and, and it'll get more and more and for some of you it feels like 40 50 years but you know you're one you're one year closer to being that couple you're one year closer to being that couple that people look to as you you know and i know the thing about it is marriages don't always work out that way we can't always see that in marriage but here's the thing i think we can do it in the church I think we can know that kind of love in the church. That over the years, that we can look one another in the eye and that take the rough with the smooth. And we've lived through troughs and valleys. But in Christ, we are one. We are one because love is a verb. Love is commitment. Love looks like something. It's a doing word. It's it's an action. And you have to do that in family. We We sometimes... <laughs> We sometimes, you wouldn't think it like, but the odd time we have arguments, right? We disagree over some stuff, right? And you know that whole thing that people say, never argue in front of the kids, yeah? And you say, know oh, no, I'd never do that, yeah? And sometimes it just happens, doesn't it? And sometimes Annie says to me, Daddy, are you and mommy fighting? Are you and mommy arguing? And you know the way your normal response is, no, we're not, we're just having a conversation. Now I've said, you know what, Annie, we are. But you know what, we're going to fix it, yeah? We're having an argument right now. You need to know, we are having an argument, so let us have the argument, right? But, <laughs> but but, I'm going to tell you something, love. We're going to fix this. We're going to do something about this. We're, we're going to see this through. We're going to talk it out. And then we're going to, we're going to sit down and we're going to say sorry and we're going to do what we need to do because we are family. Now, I know I've just used an example. that triggers all sorts of emotions for people, even in this church, right? Because it doesn't always work out like that. And and the grief and the pain that we go through through times of God are are desperate because it's not what God had desired for us to know. And so that's all the more reason why we need to create family here because God sets the lonely in families because people don't know what that's like. People don't know what it's like to watch mom and daddy actually trying their best to make it work. And they need a family. And they need a place to flourish, and they need a place to come home to, and they need all sorts of things that they maybe haven't known. And so families have to mature. Families have to grow. Families have to develop. And so Paul was given a stewardship from the Lord, right? And this is my favorite word in Greek, right? It's the word oikonoma, right? And Paul was given it says, to me was given the administration, Ephesians 3, I just read it. Ephesians 3, the administration or the plan that through the through the church of the manifold wisdom of God. But the word plan is the Greek word oikonoma and the word oikos is house and the word noma is like law or order. And he puts those together and he says that he has been given household administration in order for the church to be mature and to grow up. Because... We have had to think about our household order when another one has come into the house. It has to grow and to develop. Some systems and structures have to develop. Some new family rhythms have to grow because the family is developing and the family is growing. And that's what we want the church to be. And so a certain degree of household order, it's not heavy structure, I don't believe. And it's always family. So it's not running church like a business right it's not it 's learning how to put order in the family of God, and that 's what Paul went on in all those letters to do and so I suppose one of the ways that you put order is to put good leadership in place, and that is what we are trying to do and uh, you know we 're always very open to your feedback on that Good leadership is one of the primary ways that Paul said that you establish the household of faith, you establish these families, and so I just want to in the last five minutes here, run through what are kind of order (laughs) at this point is now when i say order i I don't want you to think of like like uh, like some big heavy systematic thing right the best way to understand this word is think of your house on christmas day right it's family but if you have all the aunts and uncles that you never really see during the year coming right and all their kids and all their grandkids Right, and the house maybe goes from four or six or whatever on Christmas Day to maybe 20, 25, or 30. Right, there's a degree of order that you have, and it's not it always stays family, doesn't it? But you just you want some order to be put in place. Otherwise, in half an hour's time, once the kids get there, there's going to be a food fight. Or there's going to be, you know, you know, two people are going to be, you know, you just have to bring a little bit of order. So it's always order in the context of family. And that's what Paul was saying to the church. And so as a church, we, we, we have a vision. And it's to help rewrite the story of Cragavin, Ireland, and the nation with the good news of the kingdom of God. We believe that is New Testament. Thinking around Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria until and the ends of the earth. And we have a strategy for each element of that for Kergaven, for Ireland and for the ends of the earth, which you don't have time to go through today, but we can certainly inform you about. We, we have values. We want to love God, love people and love the world. Those are the core of who we are and I've talked a lot about love this morning and we have six practices that we think just bring shape to the way that we express ourselves as a community. The way the vision will get outworked is if we live in that way. It's, it's good for you to know as well, as well as having leaders or elders, it's a plurality okay it 's like it 's accountable in plurality it 's not one person above it 's not hierarchical it 's not a CEO with that 's not the way the church works it 's a plurality of leaders leading with intention and diligence but mutually submitting themselves to one another uh, we have as well as that though we have a, a board it 's called Port around Church or Trust or something along those lines okay it 's a limited company by guarantee. Uh, they help sort out all the finances HMRC, gift date, all of that kind of stuff the, the, the finances here are counted by Ken, Ro and the team and there's always two people that should be counting them together I don't have anything to do with the money neither does Chris um, neither does any of the, le- le- the leadership at the moment That we, it's in the hands of trusted individuals those, those are lodged every week and they are accounted for and those accounts will be audited at the minute in uh, the church in Lurgan where administrative structures are set up in a really healthy way to help us do that. And in time to come, we will develop that with more people from this church. But these things are important in order to bring protection. If you're aware of the wider Christian kind of thing at the moment, you know, leaders are falling, you know, because of a lack of good order and good accountability. And God give us the grace not to go in that way. As elders, we have responsibility to the people. This is biblically what we think our responsibilities are. I have scriptures for most of these, but I can't take time to read them all today. We want to be devoted to God. Our primary desire is that this fellowship loves the Lord. Yeah, to help see a temperature in this place that it loves Jesus. We want to be discerning. We want to be uh, giving ourselves to the Word of God so that not any wind of doctrine, which is easy to pick up today, particularly on YouTube and social media, but that we can bring healthy doctrine to the body of Christ, that we can bring discipleship and uh, admonish and exhort people in the ways of Jesus, and that we can bring direction to where Jesus is leading us. Uh, the First Thessalonians 5 says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must Not because you must, but because you're willing. And as God wants you to be. And so it's been an honor for me to be able to work that out over the last number of months. Obviously with Rachel, first and foremost, and with Chris and Debbie and Stephen and Bruna. And a number of other leaders uh, who have led... Um, in Lurgan and formerly Upper Bam Vineyard just to get their input and their take on what has been going on. And it's it's an honor to lead in God's house. And we have to be people who are above reproach, the Bible says, faithful to our our spouses, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. We are strive to be that kind of a person but the responsibility in the household of God is also for the people to the leaders you know first Thessalonians chapter 5 talks about praying for the elders first Timothy chapter 5 talks about not charging an elder hastily that doesn't mean you can't challenge them that doesn't mean that they're perfect that it's just there's just a way to go about it because the enemy wants to slander leaders and so you need to be careful you just don't jump in on the bandwagon but think about how you want to bring that challenge you know, the Bible talks about esteeming them highly. 1 Thessalonians 5, hold them in high regard and love because of their work. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, it talks about godly submission, about aligning line in our hearts. You know, there's a, there's a danger, no matter how holy we think we are, of operating in an independent spirit or an Absalom spirit. You no know Absalom, he was David's son. He sat at the city gates and just told everybody else how he could have done it. Yeah? It's an absolute spurt. It looks impressive. It looks like really, really good. But it just it sits there and tells everybody else how it should be done and could be done. And that's not, a good, that's not a good place to be. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to agree. But we find a way to submit in our hearts so we can mutually submit to one another and reflect the Trinity in that regard. And then finally, just to say there's responsibility just to go through them. Of all who belong, there's scripture references beside them by refusing to gossip by acting in love toward everyone, by forgiving one another, by not criticizing or condemning each other, by praying for its growth, by bringing the unchurched, by being committed to the church family, by welcoming those who visit, serving one another in love, by discovering our gifts and talents, by desiring a servant heart, by exhorting one another, by supporting the testimony of the church, by attending our gatherings, being committed to our gathered times together, by living a holy and blameless life, by regularly giving financially and by not going to law with one another. These are things that the Bible sets out that Paul was at pains to stress in order to obtain and maintain the unity and pursue the bond of peace. And so I suppose as I finish, um, in plain terms, it's good to know if you're in or not, right? In sort of plain, practical terms. But what I've been striving to do this morning is to help you realize that that is a deep loving decision of the heart and not some kind of whimsical kind of decision to join a club but rather that we would recognize how we will enrich one another's lives in transformation into Christlikeness by becoming one and sometimes as I said you know it's you know sometimes it's good to be able to acknowledge them, Even, you know, salvation sort of starts out if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Yeah, it's it's good to c- confess that. It's it's good. And so what what we'd love to do this morning, as we finish, I'm, I'm going to put a, a, like almost like a prayer on the screen here, and I'm going to read through it. And if you feel that, you know, I feel like I can say yes to that, then what we'd love to do is we're going to give out a little sheet that basically has that prayer on it, and it just allows us to get your name and, and, and uh, contact details so that we can stay in touch and we can treat you and understand you with the expectations that you have expressed and that we can become more and more sure of what the Lord is doing uh, amongst us. We'll do this kind of a talk in the future, not really on a Sunday morning, but more for people who are journeying with us that would like to become part of what God's doing. But we just thought for the first time we do it, so many have been on that journey with us that we could do that on a Sunday morning. And uh, rather than call you all out to a members meeting or something along those lines, we just thought this would be a good time to do this. So please hear me, a couple of disclaimers. Don't feel any pressure about this, okay? If, you're, if you were going to marry somebody and you weren't sure whether you should or not, you probably shouldn't, Right? You definitely shouldn't, okay? So you don't rush into these things. So if you're just here and you're not sure, if you're here and you have just more questions, if you're one of those persons, people are, that are into the nuts and bolts of how local churches work and you're not sure of some of the measures of accountability, I stress you'd like to talk to us more about those first, that's totally fine. or, or, um, or you just maybe need more time. That's absolutely no problem. But this is this is the prayer that uh, we're going to um, I'm going to read, and then we're going to give these sheets out now, and just give you a moment as the band plays to um, t- to give our offering. So as the baskets go round give your offering, this is a little sheet. There is a, a perforated kind of part. Well it's not actually perforated, it just looks like it is. But just rip rip it off, rip that bottom bit off, because you can keep that, that prayer, and just write your name and stick it in the offering basket as it goes around. Does that make sense? This is what the prayer this is what the purse says. And and I am saying this as one of the body, not as a leader of of it. Okay? As a follower of Jesus in this area. I want to commit myself to Emmanuel Portadown as my spiritual home. I, or maybe we as a family, are making a decision of the heart to plant roots here for the foreseeable future, okay? You can you can leave if the Lord leads you, okay? Not bound to anything that way, so don't worry about that. Weak as I am, I recognize that I'm a vital part of this body, and by God's grace, will strive to fulfill my unique contribution to the health and flourishing of this local church in its vision to fulfill the Great Commission. Though not perfect, I recognize those God has appointed as leaders of this household of faith, and choose to pray, support, and bless them as they seek to equip the body for the work of ministry and shepherd the flock. By your grace, I strive to pursue the bond of peace and love my brothers and sisters in words, speech, and actions. It's my desire to respond with a wholehearted commitment to Emmanuel Portadown and give my yes to its vision leadership through my words, service, and giving. I hope that that captures not just in word but in spirit and in tone something of what we feel the Lord is calling us to and it just allows us then, almost practically as well, just to be able to keep in touch. We'd love to be able to send out a weekly email to encourage you with what's going on and things like that. And uh, if if we know that and have your details, then we can do that. I'm going to ask the band, would you, would you come? And um, as the band just get ready and play a little bit, you can take a moment just to look at that, to, to sign that. And then I'll tell the guys to pass the baskets around in a, in a couple of minutes when we start to worship but just just take a moment you can read over that please don't feel any pressure as i've said but if you'd like to jump in with us then that would be brilliant as well please do come and speak to us afterwards if you have any questions about it we'd love to chat to you about them